And welcome into the Most Accurate Podcast. I'm Anthony Stalzer, joined as always by 444 Senior Editor John Paulson. And uh, John, let's dive right into it. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, the Packers uh, beat the Bears, which is um, a, a plus when you're going to have a probably going to have a bad season. You beat your rival. And then your Falcons just took it to the Cowboys, so that's always good. Yeah, that was nice. And anybody that wants to tell you that uh, Ezekiel Elliott not being there was the difference. Uh, Tyron Smith not being the left tackle for the Cowboys yesterday, that was the difference because Adrian Claiborne just single-handedly took over that game yesterday. But we'll dive into that. Uh, but you're right, two two big wins for our teams, Packers and, and Falcons. Uh, i got to ask you, what the hell was Brett Hundley doing at the end of the first quarter when instead of letting the time run out on that that fourth down play and letting the, letting the quarter – run out he decided to take a timeout even though it was fourth and one way way backed up did, did you see that I didn't notice it at the time I was flipping back and forth between the, the Packer game and uh, red zone channel trying to keep track of what was going on so he, he took a timeout and then had to punt it at the end of the quarter Is that what yeah happened? so so it was a fourth and one and clearly they're the, 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 they were trying to get the Bears to jump off sides oh and and instead of just allowing the the quarter to run out he took a timeout and so, therefore, the Packers had to punt anyways. And you could you could see – I don't know if it was Mike McCarthy or one of the, the, the coaches on the side, sidelines was just like, what the hell are you doing? So, anyways, that's that's your quarterback for the next you know, six, seven weeks. <laughs> I mean, I, th- I thought he did all right. He had, a, he had a, some good throws yesterday. He looked like he's coming out of his shell a little bit. I mean, it is the Bears. Uh, the Bears' yeah. defense is actually pretty good. And uh, Hundley had a – they let him throw the ball on that one uh, drive towards the end of the game. Uh, deep pass. They didn't go into a turtle shell uh, offensively. And uh, he had a nice strike to Devontae Adams. Seems to have a better rapport with Devontae Adams than Jordan Nelson. But we're going to talk about that a little bit later too. Yeah. Uh, tell us about the music that brought us in. We'll dive into some of the, the pertinent topics today. Yeah, this is uh, Italian Leather Sofa by uh, probably my favorite band of the 90s, uh, Cake. Uh, so I, I'm, you know, everybody knows I'm a diehard Tom Petty fan. I like the Beatles, but uh, in terms of the '90s, early aughts bands, I think Cake is my favorite. I've seen them uh, probably 15 times live, and this was a song that uh, the last time I saw them, I hadn't seen them play this song live, and I was really wanting to see them. It was it's one of their deep cuts, so it's not something they play often, um, and I really wanted to see them play it live. So uh, I was going to the show up at the, I think it was a Troubadour up in LA. I tweeted out to my whatever, however many number of followers I had at that point, I, I tagged Cake Music on it and um, said, I hope they play Italian Leather Sofa. I've seen them, whatever, a dozen times and they haven't played it. So hopefully they'll play it. And about two thirds of the way through the show, they suddenly broke out into it. And I was a little bit misty eyed. I'll be honest with you to see it, see them play it live. So just want to share that with all the listeners out there. Great deep cut cake, Italian leather sofa. It got a little dusty in that, that auditorium dusty. that night. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, uh, John, let's dive into some of the fantasy football topics from, from week 10. This is kind of a list of what you and I think might be the, the biggest questions heading into week 11. We got our first look, as as I mentioned before, at the Cowboys without Ezekiel Elliott, and I don't know how much can be gleaned from the game because, as I mentioned, Claiborne just completely destroyed Tyron Smith's backfield uh, back up. He sacked Dak Prescott six times. Prescott got sacked eight times in the game. That obviously had a dramatic effect on on Prescott in the passing game. And then Alfred Morris was kind of a hard hard read on him. 
because eventually the Cowboys had to get away from the running game with the Falcons starting to pull away in the third quarter. But regardless, what was your what was your takeaway from the Cowboys yesterday in Atlanta? So we've talked a lot about the the Dallas backfield and how it was going to shake out while uh, Ezekiel Elliott was sidelined. And even though this game didn't go a typical, the typically the way that Cowboy games go, where they get their twenty five to thirty uh, carries for their running backs. Um, we could still glean some information from this because what I look for here is, okay, how, who was the lead back? It was Alfred Morris. Uh, and how did he do in his work? Even if it was limited, he averaged 4.8 yards per carry at a long run of 20. I think they finally got him going later in the game, 11 carries for 53 yards. I think the, I think the Cowboys are going to look at that and say, we're fine. Uh, on that front, uh, the split in carries was 11 to three, uh, Morris to Rod Smith. Rod Smith clearly ahead of Darren McFadden. Darren McFadden just had one carry for negative two yards, was not a factor in the passing game either. Uh, Alfred Morris got zero catches uh, as well. Rod Smith was the primary pass catcher out of the running back, uh, out of the backfield. So four catches for 15 yards on six targets for him. So what we're probably going to see um, ultimately here, it was 11 to seven split in terms of touches between Morris and Smith. That's probably what we'll see um, going forward with, uh, with with this backfield. We'll probably see a committee. Uh, if they have an easier matchup in terms of the running game, uh, you know, get their get their tackle back, um, and you know Morris is able to get going, get his fifteen to twenty carries, then uh, he'll be a he'll be a solid RB two. Uh, but in, in matchups where they're not able to run as well, or if they continue to have problems off on the offensive line, then he's going to be more of an RB three. Whereas Smith is, uh, you know. A, kind of a sneaky play in PPR formats because he's going to get those catches. Let's move on to your Packers. They have running back issues again because of injuries. Aaron Jones could miss a few weeks due due to an injury. I think he's got a sprained MCL. And then Ty Montgomery also suffered a ribs injury. Now he's week to week. So Jamal Williams is currently the last man standing. What's his fantasy upside? Well, you kind of have to look at, uh, you know, what what their matchup is because he'll, he'll if, if they're in a positive game, script like they were against the bears. Um, he'll, he'll get those, the bulk of those touches. He might end up with 20, 25, um, 25 touches, but if he's in a bad matchup and they can't really run the ball or they start to trail and have to throw the ball more then um, he might see five to seven carries and just have basically have the offense ignoring him. So uh, next week they have Baltimore. Uh, they're 22nd in adjusted fantasy points. Um, allowed to running backs. Um, typically, they have a good a good rush defense, but um, this year it looks like they are in the middle of the – I'm just looking up their stats right now. They're giving up 126 yards rushing, 4.2 yards per carry. So this might be a game, if the, if the Packers can keep it competitive, that they'll feed Williams and he'll be a, a, a solid start for fantasy owners. Speaking of your Packers, is it safe to drop Jordy Nelson now that he has just eight catches for 68 yards in three games without Aaron Rodgers? You kind of alluded to this a little bit early on uh, by noting that Brett Hundley has really taken uh, taken a kind taken a kind. He's he, he's locked horns here. Yeah, yeah, with uh, Devontae Adams. Yeah, he's taking a shine to De- uh, Devontae Adams. I think that was the phrase you were looking for Thank there. Uh, yeah, it's okay. Uh, I'm the professional radio guy here, so I, I have to cut you some slack. Um, I wouldn't cut Jordy. I would just hold. And, and you, you know, you, he's going to, he was ranked in the 30s this week, and he's going to continue to slip a little bit as his market share drops with 
Hundley under center. But I mean, if the Packers are going to win games, they're going to have to get him going. And um, I think eventually he, they, they will. Um, so I, I think he's too good to cut, but uh, definitely, you definitely bench at this point. Are Jared Goff and Robert Woods now match your proof again uh, or not again, <laughs> but after they lit up the Texans on Sunday, or do you still have to be careful with the matchups uh, with these two? Because for my money, they look like Kurt Warner and Torrey Holt right now, but um, they, they also face Minnesota on Sunday. So it's got, uh, they, they're going to face a tougher defense. Let's uh, let's add your question there to the list of things we never thought we'd ever say are Jared Goff and Robert Woods matchup proof. Okay. Um, never thought we'd say that at the beginning of the season, but you know, Woods, you know, he's, he's had four touchdowns last two games. These are his first four touchdowns of the year. So he's obviously very hot in weeks nine and 10 prior to that. He was a real solid PPR play. I mean, five catches in three straight games before that. He had a six for 108 against the 49ers in week three. Um, but they spread the ball around. I would not call them matchup proof. I think, you know, week 11 will be tougher against the, the Vikings. Uh, the, the Saints are playing a lot better against the pass. So the next two weeks will be pretty telling. Uh, but you get into week 13, you know, at Arizona, uh, you know, Philly in week 14. Seahawks are struggling against the pass uh, week 15, Tennessee uh, 23rd and just a fantasy points allowed to wide receivers. I think he's going to be very startable in the last month of the season. I think the next two weeks are going to be very telling for this offense, whether or not they can uh, keep it up. Rob Kelly is going to miss some time in Washington due to an injury. Chris Thompson only caught three of seven targets for 41 yards. He also rushed nine times for 26 yards in the Redskins loss to the Vikings. We've seen better games out of Chris Thompson, although he wasn't horrible. Uh, is Thompson a trustworthy RB2 with Kelly down? Uh, I don't think that – I mean, I think he's a trustworthy RB2, whether or not Kelly was healthy. I mean, he's going to have some bad games. You know, all players that are splitting time or not seeing 20, 25 touches per game are going to have some bad games. Even some of the players that have uh, 20 carries in a game don't – you know, only produce 60 yards and don't score a touchdown. So um, – he had 12 touches last week. I think his, his upside's a little bit higher with, with Kelly out. Uh, but, uh, you know, P Ryan is going to step in there for that Kelly role. And he was playing yesterday and, and saw, I think nine carries as well. Uh, so he'll eat into that a little bit, but if you're just looking at his Thompson's matchups and P Ryan's matchups for that matter, uh, the saints are 20th. They're coming up next. Uh, the giants 21st, Dallas 14th, uh, chargers 28th. So the, the schedule for the next four weeks is, is pretty nice. And then they get into Arizona and Denver week 15 and 16. So maybe a little less appealing. Uh, but I think for the next four weeks, uh, Thompson's going to be very startable, especially in PPR formats. Devontae Freeman owners might not have a choice, but I want to ask this question anyways. So Freeman suffered a concussion early in that victory against the Cowboys. He went out, I think, on the first drive with a concussion. Adam Schefter is reporting that Freeman is unlikely to play week 11 against the Seahawks, and that's a Monday night game. So owners are going to have um, a decision to make uh, about Freeman. So Tevin Coleman is the RB1 now in Atlanta with Freeman down. Is is he a, a running back where you say, okay, with Freeman out, doesn't really matter what the matchup is. Is he an RB1? It's going to be close. This is uh, one of those picks, and if you remember, in uh, draft season where you're talking about Freeman and Coleman, and I took them both in a in my NFL uh, draft book uh, experts poll league for the for the magazine that I uh, contribute to in the in the preseason, and um, I am glad I have Coleman now. I mean, I was starting him here and there. Uh, he's a frustrating player to own sometimes because you just don't know 
what sort of game, how game flow is going to impact him. Whereas Freeman's getting the consistent touches. Uh, Coleman's kind of hot or hit or miss. Um, but with, with Freeman missing last on Sunday, 20 carries for, for Coleman, 83 yards, touchdown. He had one catch for five yards. You'd expect more catches uh, in, in different game flow. Uh, they led uh, against Dallas, so they didn't need to throw the ball a whole lot. So he wasn't that, you know, usually utilized that much in, in the passing game. And you look forward to, to week 11 uh, at Seattle. That's going to be a, a tough matchup for him. But, you know, 15 to 25 touches for him depending on game flow and uh, you know, he'll be, he'll be very startable there. I think he'll probably be a low end RB one, high end RB two, depending on buys and how that shakes out. But week 12 against Tampa, um, you know, if, if Freeman continues to stay out uh, week 13, Minnesota is going to be a tough one, but then week 14 against New Orleans, week 15 against Tampa, week 16 against New Orleans. Uh, these are, these are very good uh, matchups for running backs. Um, and, and Coleman is a very talented player who's going to, should be able to produce if he's given that kind of workload. And, you know, this this is tough to measure, but I'll throw my two cents in here. Free, Coleman, Coleman always has a, a knack for kind of finding the end zone at some point. We we saw that two weeks ago against Carolina when Freeman Freeman was healthy and, and he was the, the clear RB1. Coleman was doing absolutely nothing until the third or fourth quarter where he caught – just this little dump off and he wound up going 13, 14, 15 yards into the end zone. He can, he kind of has a nose for the, the end zone and he's, he's got that home run ability. And we saw that it, when he played at Indiana. So uh, I think at some point, even though he's bottled, not that he's Barry Sanders, but even if he's bottled up for, for three quarters, he has a tendency to find the end zone at some point. So he shouldn't kill you. And as you mentioned, John, with the touches that he should get both in the running and the passing game, uh, he should be started. Yeah. Yeah, I just want to add that this is the, you know, he was an expensive player, sixth, fifth, sixth round to draft like Derrick Henry. But this is why you uh, picked him up at that point in the draft is that you have RB1 potential the rest of the the year if there's an injury ahead of him. If DeMarco Murray goes down, Henry's going to blow up probably. And if uh, Freeman goes down, Coleman's probably going to blow up. So that's that's why they were that expensive and they did offer some weekly uh, value, uh, even if it's sometimes frustrating, but you know, you're, you're gambling that, uh, the, the lead back in these backfields is going to miss, uh, some time at some point during the season. Yeah. Good point. Let's move on. Rex Burkhead rushed 10 times for 36 yards while snagging three passes for 27 yards and a touchdown. He led the Patriots backfield with 36 offensive snaps with Mike Gillisley out of new England's backfield rotation. He wasn't even active last night in Denver. Is Burkhead worth a waiver wire ad for owners that need running back help? Yeah, and he's you know in most deep leagues he's going to be gone already. Uh, but in sh- shallow leagues he's uh, still out there in the waiver wire because he wasn't you know really the starter or whatever the highest scorer for this backfield. But if if Gillisley's out, then he's going to be a healthy scratch. Uh, looks like his fumble really cost him uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, they're excited about what Burkhead's bringing to the table. Um, then Burkhead's going to be very startable going forward because he's going to probably get i mean Deion lewis got the touchdown uh, uh yesterday um but you know and burkhead got the touchdown in the passing game um but he's going to be one you know more likely to uh get the get the goal line work i think he's the bigger back uh they might keep using Deion lewis in that in that role but this running game is tends to be very productive i mean they got three uh touchdowns total out of this crew uh against uh, one of the best defenses rush defenses in the uh in the league, even though Denver's not playing as well as they had uh, last year, but uh, Burkhead's certainly in PPR. You know, ten catches over the last two games. Uh, he had eleven 
touches against uh, the Chargers in Week Eight. He had 13 touches yesterday. Uh, they they showed early in the season that they wanted to utilize him. He was uh, the, you know the first running back in the rotation against the Chiefs. Uh, he caught a touchdown in Week Two against New Orleans, uh, three catches for 41 yards and a touchdown in that game. So they like him, and uh, I would expect a three-man rotation uh, with uh, Lewis, Burkhead, and uh, White uh, for the remainder of the season, uh, unless one of these guys fumbles. Burkhead is just a patriot through and through. Like they use him in a in a variety of ways. He's multifaceted. He blocked a punt last night. I mean, he's just. He's a Patriot, so I, I, I believe they'll continue to use him a lot as well. Uh, Sterling Shepard, a reliable wide receiver, too, after catching 11 of 13 targets for 142 yards in the Giants' loss to the 49ers. Uh, not that you want to own a lot of Giants at this point, but he seems like a, a good bet as the de facto number one wide receiver there. Yeah, uh, 22 targets over his last two games. I mean, we knew this uh, after Brandon Marshall and uh, Odell Beckham went out that once Shepard was healthy, that he was going to be the, he and Evan Ingram are going to be the focal points of this, this passing offense. And he's turning out to be uh, the primary read. Um, and this was not even a great matchup against the 49ers. They were eighth in adjusted fancy points allowed to, uh, to receivers. Um, and he still produced a big, a big day. So he's got 16 catches over the last two weeks. And then next week, uh, week 11, uh, he's got a matchup with the Chiefs, who are last in the league and adjusted fancy points allowed to uh, receivers. So he may be uh, pushing top 12 uh, status uh, in my rankings. Let's stick with wide receivers. Uh, kind of a similar question about Titans rookie Corey Davis. He caught four of 10 targets for only 48 yards, but he nearly scored on a touchdown on a long catch and run. But he, he wound up losing the ball while diving, diving into the end zone. Is he a sneaky good pickup the rest of the way? Yeah, and he's out there in some shallow leagues. Uh, I think I'm going to uh, suggest that my son pick him up. Uh, he's got some wide receiver issues, but uh, we've been uh, doing a patchwork of uh, Robbie Anderson and Juju Smith-Schuster, uh, who both scored uh, yesterday. Um, but Davis would be a good addition for him as well. 87% of the snaps uh, this week, uh, 25 targets in his three healthy games this season. That's good. That's good usage. And then if you look at his upcoming schedule, week 12 to week 14, especially he's got the Colts, uh, the uh, the Texans, and the uh, Cardinals. So these are these are pretty good matchups for for receivers. I think he'll be a, a a nice play the rest of the way. So Will Fuller is now dealing with an ankle injury, and nobody should get overly excited about any option outside of DeAndre Hopkins now that Tom Savage is the quarterback. But is there any interest in Bruce Ellington or tight end CJ Fedorowicz as a streaming option as long as Will Fuller is down? Uh, I would just answer no to be succinct, but I guess we should, let's look at the back box score here. Bruce Ellington had uh, eight targets, four for 41 and a touchdown. Um, if Fuller is out, I guess you look at him as, as a deep league PPR play um, just from a volume standpoint. Um, Fedora with six targets, two for 10, uh, just some ugly production there. I, I thought he might come back and see, he did see some usage, but uh, wasn't very productive. I guess the, the passing offense in general wasn't very productive with Tom Savage uh, calling the shots, but um, I would, this is a situation I would avoid. I mean, if I can, uh, but Ellington might be a guy that gets you five for 50, uh, you know, five for 60 with, uh, with fuller out. And then uh, another streaming question for you, Austin Eckler rushed 10 times for 42 yards. He also caught five of five targets for 77 yards or two touchdowns. He typed, Kind of, kind of walked the tightrope a couple of times on those uh, on those two touchdowns, and that uh, Chargers Chargers lost to the Jaguars. Probably should have won the game, but Jacksonville wound up pulling it out. 
he's he's past Brandon Oliver on the depth chart, but the question is whether or not Eckler should be owned in deeper formats, knowing that he is the clear RB2 to Melvin Gordon in, in L.A. Yeah, I mean, I think he's, at this point, he's similar to a Tevin Coleman, uh, you know, if, if Freeman were healthy. Uh, so you'd, you'd, you'd stash him and you might use him occasionally if there's a a good matchup uh, for you. I, I, mean, I mean, I'm sure that Melvin Gordon fans are really excited to see Eckler score two touchdowns in the passing game and, and watching Melvin Gordon scr- struggle to uh, what, 42 total yards on 21 touches. Um this is, I mean, this is this is painful for Gordon owners to, to see, but Eckler certainly is is one of these guys that uh, injury attrition might thrust him into a, a bigger role, fantasy wise, maybe an RB two role if if uh, Gordon were to go down. Monday Night Football tonight, you have the Panthers versus the Dolphins. Any fantasy injury concerns? Well, I think the only player that's uh, questionable that uh, is as much of a concern is Damian Williams. He's but he's questionable with an illness and. I think 99 times out of 100, when a when a player is questionable with an illness, they they end up playing on Sunday. So I, I would expect him to be out there. I'm kind of interested in in once again looking at that backfield tandem in Miami with Williams and then Kenyon Drake. And and I picked up Drake uh, as a cheap flyer option when I built my DFS team, one of my DFS teams this week. So I'm kind of interested in that. I'm also interested in how this is this would be game two without Kelvin Benjamin for for Carolina. They utilized that running game a week ago. Christian McCaffrey seemed to be a little bit more active in the game plan. Uh, so those are the two things I'm looking looking for tonight. Any, anything that you're interested in from a fantasy perspective? Yeah, I mean, I think Mac, I think McCaffrey is moving into a lead role as opposed to just being like a tandem with Jonathan Stewart because, frankly, Jonathan Stewart has not run the ball well enough to justify all the carries that he's been getting. Um, so they might be just deciding that the McCaffrey's going to be their guy and he's going to see 15 to 20 touches and, and continue to tear it up in in the passing game. So, you know, if he if that if he starts to get 10 to 15 carries and continues to get his 5 to 7 catches per game, then he's going to be an RB1 in PPR formats the rest of the way. Um Curtis Samuel, you know, is he is he going to be utilized uh, you know, more significantly than Russell Shepard? Uh is he going to emerge as maybe a, a playable option down the stretch and then on the flip side of the ball, I have, you know, I was very bullish on uh, Devontae Parker this week. I, you know, for my rankings, I could really use a big game out of him. Uh, I've got him in a DFS lineup too at FanDuel. Um, Jay Cutler has been looking his way and he's been very productive uh, when playing uh, Parker has. So uh, I'm interested to see how he's, his ankle is. He wasn't on the injury report at all this week, which is why I ranked him so high. And uh, if he's moving around normal, uh, there's definitely some plays to be made against this uh, Carolina secondary because they're much stronger against the run than they are the pass. All right, good stuff. As always, John, you can follow John on Twitter at 444 underscore John. You can follow me as well at Anthony Stalter. We will see you on Friday. We'll go over some sneaky starts and also some injury situations that could be affecting fantasy owners. But until then, good luck tonight if your games are all uh, still up for grabs in, in fantasy. And we'll talk to you on Friday for the most accurate podcast. She doesn't care whether or not he's an island. She doesn't care just as long as his ship's coming in.
gold watch She's got a silk dress and healthy breasts that bounce on his Italian leather 